Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Good, Bad, and Ugly of Business. I am your host, Katrin Becker. In this podcast, we talk to business owners, entrepreneurs, corporate executives, real estate investors, you name it. We talk to everyone and everyone because we want to know what makes them unique. What are the different struggles that they've learned? What are the good, bad in business? And how can it apply to you and your business so that you can learn from others? In today's episode, we have the pleasure of a Harvard graduate who is changing the financial landscape with businesses and how loans are originated. Andres Klerich, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Katrin. And the pleasure is all mine because I am very excited to talk about this topic of how you went from a B2C company with your the company you co-founded, Fuse Financial, to a B2B company and what that process was like for you. But we'll get into that in a second. But before we get into that, I want to know a little bit more about your history and how you've come to uh, form this company. Well, I mean, if we will have to start from the very beginning, uh, born in the U.S., uh, raised in Bolivia, my family through my dad's side has been in the auto space forever. My grandpa was a race car driver. Dad has been working uh, in auto finance for a good chunk of his career. My first job out of high school was selling cars. I sold cars, uh, helped my parents pay for college selling cars. Then went into Wall Street. Um, uh, I was a tech and business services investor. And along the way, as you mentioned, I, I got my MBA in Boston. That's how I met my co-founder eight years ago and decided to join forces a little, a little bit over two years ago to start a business, in the, as you mentioned, in the B2C side. Uh, so what the original premise there was as rates were lower, the difference, uh, different uh, environment than now, people were refinancing their auto loans. So what we were trying to do is make that refinancing process uh, less painful. Uh, the percentage of people that were refinancing loans versus refinancing homes was surprisingly low. So we saw an, ar an arbitrage opportunity to help them kind of uh, do that in, in, a, in a more automated and delightful way. And we started working with a number of lenders uh, in the space. And uh, we realized, hey, like uh, our lenders are really loving our product, but more than like actual the loans that were originating for them, they really liked the technology they were using. So they started approaching us back and they were like, hey guys, uh, wouldn't you be interested in selling your technology to us? And at first, like the, as a founder that has raised capital at that point, you're like, hey, I, I, I'm not sure. Um, but then it became a unanimous kind of push from our partners to like really sell them that technology. So we presented that uh, a new plan. We went through that entire process of uh, convincing our investors that the right path for us was no longer uh, in the direct-to-consumer space but actually via software enterprise uh, business. And uh, it, it's been an amazing journey. Uh, the impact, the, the, the success that the company has experienced in the last uh, year or so has been phenomenal. And like, I uh, couldn't be more excited about what's to come. Well, and I find this so interesting because, you know, when you start a business, you've got so much time and energy and effort wrapped up in the business plan and the marketing and the strategy and all the pieces that go into that. And then to completely switch what you're selling, who you're selling to, it's a completely different model. And, you know, you mentioned partners, what sort of mentorship and discussions went around this to help you decide to make this pivot? The first uh, group of people to convince is like the founding team, right? So it's very important to have the buy-in of 
you and your co-founder, right? Like, because the roles are going to change. The product is going to differ. The go-to-market strategy is going to differ. Uh, stakeholders are going to differ. And even the composition of your team is going to differ. So there will be some hard choices that will have to be made there, right? So, and most importantly, the level of excitement needs to be significantly higher than the original one, because if you're going to switch, you better be, be very, very uh, sure that the direction that you're taking uh, is, is, uh, is a much more exciting direction than the one you have and that you actually have a clear rationale for doing so. So first, first, uh, first constituents, the founding team. Then, of course, you need to keep all the other stakeholders uh, kind of updated on what's happening. So telling your employees, hey, we're thinking about this. This is the timeline in which, and these are kind of the goals that we're setting for us to make that decision. Uh, communicate with investors and uh, bringing them in into the fold to the extent that they can actually even help you come uh, finalize that decision. And and I would say the investors, like there's there two categories of investors, right? They're like your lead investors and other investors. Like the lead investors in, in general uh, are the ones you want to keep in even more uh, uh, updated than like smaller investors. But like the reality, all of them need to know where what the direction. And, and finally, all your vendors, right? Your vendors, or for example, in this case, uh, a lot of the lenders we were working with, like being very transparent about the direction that the business is going to take and, and telling them what are kind of the metrics the, uh, and goals that you're setting for yourself for you to make that transition in the event that you decide to do so. Well, and in a lot of ways, it's a completely separate company that you created, yeah. yet you kept it yeah. within the same original framework. Yeah. Was there any ever I discussion around... Um, doing both uh it's it, it is tempting and I, uh it's but i think for us we were wired to not uh to be very focused right i think when you go the venture route meaning you raise capital uh, and and like the venture route is, essentially gives you a lot of ammunition to go after a focus uh idea i think the, that the way that you're set up is to really pursue a very focused plan and and go for it. Of course, you have plenty of resources compared to like someone that is bootstrapping, but the market rewards speed of execution and speed of execution usually comes paired with focus. It's very hard to like uh, execute fast if you're doing multiple strategies or, or maybe you're not going to be able to show enough traction in multiple sides. So the, it's a very confusing market signal so to speak so we are we've made the conscious choice to go the 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 fast pace that a venture back business will do and that definitionally that translates into much more focused uh uh set of like strategies as it pertains to product development so you cannot really just do b2c and b2b at the same time and that makes a lot of sense i mean the phrase the riches are in the niches you know it's 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 yeah. basically you boil it down to it's about being focused and knowing what you're going after so that makes a lot of sense but it also seems like it's balancing you know shiny penny syndrome right of like ooh should we move to this thing but it sounds like it was a very thought through conscious decision between you and the founders other founders and all the different stakeholders so that Absolutely. leads me to my next question and i think this is something that um, you know, really resonates with anyone in business, uh, no matter if they're business owners or or work in a corporation. But it's the idea of of teams and how you work together with within a team. 
So what are some of the characteristics within the founding partners that make you guys such a strong team? I think it's like very important to kind of like keep a very delineated roles, right? So I, I, the, and, and, and highly complementary, right? Like for us, the set of responsibilities that each one has are very unique to our kind of strengths and, and, and we and, and kind of cover for our weaknesses, right? So I think uh, I, my, my co-founder is heavy on technical product. I'm very focused on kind of like uh, develop business development um, and, and kind of like the finance side of the house. So whatever is it, that combination is very powerful in terms of like actually like running the, the type of business that we're running. But uh, we supplement that adding, adding great people uh, they come kind of helping hands that allow us to execute on that strategy, right? The path that we're taking now as a B2B business really demands way a much larger pool of engineering talent, right? When we're doing B2C, you had a much more heavy operations and perhaps uh, marketing instead of, uh, of, of, of like a um, roster of players. But now, like right now, it's very heavy on engineering. So you you that the composition of the team changed uh and how how, how that talent uh allocation uh changed really was dictated by the product needs that we had and you know there's there's definitely a piece of when i'm thinking of people fall in love with their ideas and sometimes mm-hmm. aren't open to opportunity um and one mm-hmm. of my mentors he says um you don't fall in love with the with the idea you fall in love with business love business, love the business fundamentals, and you will be successful. And yeah. it sounds like that's something that you guys also um, ascribe to. Yeah, I mean, the, giving it, uh, really moving into the new uh, direction of the business was a very hard choice, right? But we are here in the spirit of like building something that is gonna out- outlive us, right? So when you are in that business, when, when your core objective is to like live, uh, build something that is everlasting, uh, it's it's fundamental to, in, in essence, like really have make hard choices and make them fast, right? So, uh, for example, um, <laughs> there's always the temptation of like making a big splash and announcements and all of that that like are uh, on the surface seem very very uh, very good decisions, uh, but. In, Reality, it's not a long-term business uh, savvy decision to make. Hmm. Uh, I I would like to ask a little bit more about being an immigrant. I know you were born here in mm. the U.S., yeah. but do you feel like you have an immigrant more mindset? Um, like, do you feel American, or you know, how has how has that experience and those those formative years of yours shaped your work ethic and you know how you see yourself? Um, I mean, I think uh, I, I feel ultra American. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> I, I think my my story is uh, in, in the story of like uh, the team. It's I, I think it's uh, it's only possible in this country. I'm I'm a huge. Uh, I'm if anything, although I was born here, I was I I chose to come back right, and in in making that that deliberate decision. Of course, uh, having the, my parents supporting us and like really giving us those opportunities, the deliberate choice to live in America and, and contribute to like the living fabric that it's this country is, is something that I make every day, right? And I think everyone living in this country kind of feels that that fortune that like 
it, the sense the, the set of opportunities you get here are, are are not available anywhere else, right? So, it, it by virtue of coming back, I feel like I've chosen twice to be an American. First by birth, and second by uh, returning and realizing the immense potential of, of this nation. And uh, it and also like from an economic term, it's just an amazing market, right? Like it's you have. 50 states that feel like 50 countries, but like that overarching kind of a set of a, a dynamism and, and, and sense of like giving the opportunity to everyone to kind of get a shot at things. And I, I could not be more grateful for everything that has happened to, uh, to my family and I in this country. Oh, I love that. I've had several um, immigrants and first generation um, on this podcast and the things that I noticed the same is the incredible gratefulness of being in this country. And I think sometimes people who have been born here, they take it for granted because they don't know any different. You know, they've always had these, these opportunities. But they, but they welcome us. And like, that's, that's all that matters. I, I think <laughs> like the, when, when, when I think about other nations, I mean, the, the U S is uh, that melting pot. Uh, there's always the, everyone needs to prove themselves right like it's the same thing when you start a new class or anything and i think that uh whenever there's tension or not i think there's an expectation of what how you can contribute and and i welcome that it it really raises the bar and 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 we i think as an as a son of immigrants and like an immigrant feeling type of kid uh, i always felt that i i couldn't really disappoint uh, because I was being given the chance to be playing in the the best league in the world, and I feel that every day. Oh, I I I love that so very much. Um, but because this is the good, the bad, and the ugly, <laughs> I have to ask if you've ever felt like you have been discriminated against. Maybe just you know they hear the accent and they maybe just assume certain things or um, anything that you've experienced and and how you've you know, manage to, cause I feel like there's a mindset piece with not letting that get to you and, and yeah. overcoming it and moving through it. Um, I mean, I, I would imagine at some point it has happened, it, but I've never felt that in a, in a way that was like, that I felt like it was setting me back at all. Like I, I, if anything, I, I grew up in a country that has way more, significant issues as it pertains to kind of race relations I, I, considering the fact that we really uh, we're how small we are so it's 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 top of mind i think in the u.s and and it's something that I, sometimes i thought about it as a, as an immigrant but i, I still uh, assume the best in people i mean mm-hmm. I am sure you need to give the benefit of the doubt. I don't think they come from a place of, uh, of evil or things like that. And um, as if if anything, we're we're all like work in progress. And I, I I always try to really assume that the best intentions are there, and and, and people are not trying to hurt. Right? Like it's uh, when you hear my accent, it's like you're not going to assume that this guy was born in Chattanooga, Tennessee, right? Like the first thing you're going to assume. <laughs> But little by little, you actually figure out that, that there's more to the person and like there's we all have distinct stories. And sometimes the uh, prejudices that we might bring are just a byproduct of uh, the environment we were raised. I'm sure we all have our own set of biases. So 
um i, I it, it's 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 something that like as mentioned it's it's important to give everyone the benefit of the doubt and and and, and second chances are fundamental yeah i i 100% believe in that and you know shifting gears a little bit using the car analogy <laughs> yeah. uh but let's go back to to fuse and i just want to talk a little bit more about the fintech industry as a whole i mean it's pretty much a baby industry if you really think about it like you know i think there's probably you know there's a vast range of ages that listen to this podcast and for younger people and especially when i think about my own children like they're probably never going to have to go into a bank their whole lives. Right. Whereas when I think about growing up, you know, if you wanted to deposit a check, you wanted to get cash, like everything you had to go to the bank, like it was part of the regular, uh, part of life, like running your errands. I got to go to the bank. I got to go to the post office. I got to go to the grocery store. And that's almost been all but eliminated with the advancement of, of technology. So I'd love to know from your perspective and in working in this field and what you've seen change, um, over the time, like, where do you think the trends are going in, in this industry? And I know you're, you know, it's a vast industry when you think about all the different places where FinTech plays and you can talk to it broadly or talk to it specifically in the loan origination space. Yeah. I, I mean, you're right, right. When you think about there's a broad consolidation of the amount of uh, uh, charter banks in the U S so like just less and less, uh, number of banks relative to where they are like the, in, 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 if anything the us is like an anomaly in terms of like how many banks you have here so um compared to other countries uh in terms of technology um the us has such a uh, long dated uh, banking system that you have folks that are still operating in very old school technology so to speak when you think about what's happening in in other global when you, you think about east asia right like uh, those economies are as they're growing, like they're kind of starting from scratch. So that allows them, uh, not from scratch, but like the, the economies are growing so fast that the dynamism of those economies is allowing these emerging banks uh, to start with a clean slate, so they don't have legacy technology. So they can actually start with all the hot technology. Uh, but it, in the U.S., uh, for better or worse, we have a very solid bank banking system. But as when it comes to kind of rules or regulation and like kind of how the uh the 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 whole dynamics of that market but that also comes with like some legacy stuff like the in the, in that 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 is uh manifests itself primarily in in terms of the technology that you see and that's perhaps what in a way it's making some branches still like be very relevant right so what what do you, what, what i see as like general trends in, in, in the banking space, right? It's first and foremost is that, that people expect uh, similar experience to what they have with an Uber or with a DoorDash, uh, things that are delightful, that are instant gratification and that enables them to kind of mirror, like when you think about what uh, all the trading boom, the like retail traders uh, started seeing uh, during the pandemic, right? So people expect the same thing from their banks. So how does this, uh, how does this show up on a day-to-day -day operations, in particular on the lending side, right? People want to get pre-approved for a loan without having a hard credit check. What is a hard credit check? That whenever like you get a, a, a credit, uh, you're applying for a loan, your your credit score drops because the, um, there was that that application for credit, right? So 
being able to get high certainty of approval without necessarily incurring the the, the credit score uh, cost, right? That's that's something that we're seeing as a trend. Second, people are trying to find uh, offers and shop around and get instant uh, um, approvals within like two minutes or so, right? Like I don't remember trying to refi student loans or like when you thought about all the things in the past would take days, we would have to upload documents and like request things that like you didn't know even where to get them. And the process itself was not really well managed or the experience was not well connected. Well, guess what? Now with the with the advent of API technology, you can, you can in essence uh, originate a, an auto loan, a credit card loan, a personal loan in under two minutes, right? Uh, there's really no technological barrier for that to happen, other than the fact that are a lot of uh, the vast majority of lenders out there are sitting on legacy technology that is reliant on paper applications. So for me, from a mission standpoint, I do think that making banks more efficient helps the American dream continue. And, and how do I connect those two? Banks are proven, like the movement of money is facilitated by banks. If, 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 if people are not borrowing, then like the economy pretty much cr comes to a halt, right? Like just, we, we lived that 15 years ago during the financial crisis. So what we're trying to do is make it easy for, for uh, lenders to lend without lowering their standards, but, uh, but lowering their cost of origination. When you lower the cost of origination, that means that that marginal borrower that today is being told no, will get a yes, right? So that in itself, when you scale that through across thousands of banks uh, in the US and across millions of applications, that means that a lot of like uh, little guys uh, and, and little businesses and everyone I know that's chasing a dream through credit is gonna be able to do so because uh, technology has enabled them. So we're just putting a, uh, trying to do, give our small contribution to that process. I love that you mentioned about the regulation process. So I worked in environmental engineering and consulting before. Um, and I know, you know, how slowly the environmental regulations are updated and changed and so many things that it's like, ugh, this doesn't apply, but I'm still required to be in compliance with this regulation. I can't even imagine what sort of legacy regulations are out there that make no sense in today's market. Do you have any examples of that and how you and your company um, manage that? And is there any lobbying that is being done on that behalf? I mean, there's plenty of lobbying, but I, I would say in, in general, uh, the, the regulations of the financial system, like, uh, the harder thing is like to kind of put that as rules and automation, right? Like keeping teams a train on that, on, on, on all of that, right. To be able to navigate it for us. The thing is like accepting the fact that the rules are not going to change and not try. And, and if we, they change, uh, be able to, uh, be proactive. I mean, through like to be, uh, to be able to practice in, in terms of creating the technological tools to adapt to that. Right. Like, so for example, a lot of states have distinct or like there's like federal rules or uh, usury, like the, the amount of uh, interest that you can charge uh, legally, right, on, on, on an APR basis. So making that adaptable uh, in such a way that it's communicated in clear terms uh, to the customer. So it's like Proven Lending Act is one of those laws. So how, do, how is that uh, shown in the document? 
and so, but in a way that everything is automated and like no one has to calculate it, right? Like, so make, make it very easy for a loan agent to know that whenever they're on, on the phone with a customer or chatting or at, at, at a branch, that everything that is printed or that is sent via uh, an e-signed document making sure that all of those documents are the right reflecting the all the regulatory rules within that state that county uh that category of loans and having that peace of mind is huge for our partners that's why like they, it, it to up to this day like a lot of them kept the, those process manual because they couldn't really tr rely on the on, on the software that they were given but thanks to us they are able to kind of like really come up with a solution that helps them automate the life that customer and really ensure that from a compliance standpoint, they are where they need to be. Along those lines, you know, the big thing of 2023 has really been mm -hmm. the, the AI, you know, the chat GPT, the, the yeah. large language models. Is that having any impact in your industry? It, 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 w it, it will. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's like a nascent impact, right? Like when you think about, it's not that AI, AI has been uh, in top of mind a lot in the last twelve months, uh, but we are we're talking about an industry in which you can you cannot be ninety nine percent right is not good enough. You need to be a hundred percent right, uh, and making that it, precisely by uh, by what you were talking about regulation. If you start like let's say making mistakes on like the interest rate that your your documentation is going, or like the disclosure, or like the chatbot kind of guiding someone uh, through a process of signing and starts making statements that are not necessarily correct, uh, all of a sudden you you expose yourself to class actions and things like that, right? So I do I see we see the enormous potential. We're working on plenty of that, <laughs> but it's really putting the the boundaries. Conversely. And I and 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 just to kind of like to play devil's advocate, you you are also as an organization saying no to AI just because some of these mistakes can happen. You're deliberately also embracing human error, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, we are not faultless, right? So of course the machine can make mistakes, but we also know that we make mistakes. We're slower. We're saying no to more people. Uh, we're uh, so all of, we, we, there's like trade-offs on both ends. And navigating that that those are are really going to is what's going to separate the kind of like the the innovators from the non non true innovators and the ones that cannot really innovate and adapt are going to be uh, left behind in our in my opinion. Well, that certainly won't be you, and it certainly won't be Fuse because you obviously have a a history of being adaptable and innovative. Thank you. <laughs> is there what do you see as like the biggest misconception? Um, that maybe your potential clients have about your business and what you do. I I I do think like you know when you're a startup, you need to prove yourself, right? So oh, I am uh, we're crystal clear on like the magnitude that like switching to us uh, for some of their champions means, right? Like they are they're saying, hey, like we obviously recognize that this is a problem for us, uh, but who are you right <laughs> that yeah. it, it, there's there's this incumbents so uh i think like it does going back to the, making that choice of going venture back and uh, and not having the resources and the world with all to really prove to them hey like we're here for the long run right we raised millions of dollars to be really invest in this space 
to spend the time to go to the conferences, to be there with you, to uh, to get to know you not not only as a potential customer but also like someone that we deeply care about. Uh, it's 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 a long it's a long game, right? So, and it's something that it, it's still a people business, right? It, you need to have phenomenal technology, but at the end of the day, um, that that whole premise of like showing up is a lot of it. Showing up is very important in this industry, right? Like it on a recurring basis, uh, demonstrating to them that you you are there not only trying to sell them hard on something, but like really trying to be a uh, a partner, a decision maker, a thought leader, uh, and some someone that they can rely upon for to get like an honest perspective of where a product decision should go, what type of providers they should use, and even thinking about the team composition, uh, how, how can they scale with this product versus others? Or even if they choose, they don't choose you, right? Like, uh, saying like, what are the uh, things that they need to look after now that they've chosen uh, to go eat, let's say they decide to build it themselves uh, and and just be helpful and realize that like, might not be today or might be this time, but uh, at some point they will, they, they will perhaps want to do business with you. So having, having that long-term mindset is very, very important. Otherwise, um, you're, you're going to lose faith pretty fast. Absolutely. Well, Andres, it has been so lovely to speak with you and to learn more about you as a person and you as the co-founder of Fuse. Uh, is there anything else that you would like to share before we say our goodbyes? Um, no, thank you again for having me. Thanks for the audience for listening. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn to the extent you guys uh, want to uh, reach out. I'll, I'll, I'll do my best. And I, I always did take less than a day to respond. So, uh, and to everyone else, if I can help with anything, please let me know. And what's the website if they would like to check out more about the company? The website is fusefinance.com, F-U-S-C finance.com. Um, and, uh, if you're interested in getting a demo, I'm sure we can have, uh, put you in touch with, uh, some of our, our folks there too. That would be amazing. Well, thank you again for being here. Thank you so much. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate you. If you liked this podcast, please make sure to like, subscribe, and share with your audience so I can continue to bring more amazing guests like this so that we can all learn and grow together. If there's someone that you're interested in, a certain industry, certain type of person, please let me know and I will do my best to reach out and to have them on as a future guest. Until next time, everyone.